You're listening to the winning literary show, Off the Shelf Books Talk Radio, live with host Denise Turney, author of the books Long Walk Up, Portia, Love Pour Over Me, Spiral, Love Has Many Faces, and Rosetta's Great Hope. Turn up your dial and get ready for a blast of feature author interviews, 411 on book festivals, writing conferences, and so much more. Ready? Let's go. Let's go. Impossible is just an opinion. I love this quote. This is by Paulo Coelho. Impossible is just an opinion. I, I, I love that quote. Welcome, welcome, welcome this morning to our listeners. You know, I was just thinking to myself, it takes a lot to put this radio show together. And I, I, I always thank our our listeners who've been with us. We've been on it 16 years, 16 years. Then I'm like, wow, I've been doing this 16 years, too. There's a lot of work that goes into these shows. So thank you to our loyal listeners who've been with us this long. And if if you're just scrolling through this your first time, tuning in off the shelf, as I say, you are absolutely listening to the Winning Book Podcast off the shelf. And welcome to this April 23rd. We're coming down to the end of April, you guys. I feel like I was just saying welcome to April, and now we're winding down with April. And I, I just thank you, thank you, thank you for being here with us. And there's still time for you to tell your friends, your colleagues, your neighbors, book lovers everywhere they can catch off the shelf. And they won't miss. We haven't even introduced the awesome guests this morning. They won't miss, so there's still time to tell them. They can tune in via the chat room. We're on so many different platforms, and they can also dial in to 347-994-3490. Again, that's 347-994-3490. Go tell folks, catch off this shelf, and, and don't miss don't miss a second of what our guest has to share this morning. But before I introduce our chef, our our guest this morning, I want to ask you, do you like thrillers? I mean a fast-paced mystery suspense story. If you do, I really encourage you. And you can read free excerpts at my website or on some of the ebook platforms uh, such as uh, Amazon, to look inside the books. And the book is titled Escaping Toward Freedom. The topic is a topic that has dominated international news that takes place in this story. It is a real true, a woman's on vacation in Georgia. She's up in the beautiful mountains, and there's something that she sees, and it just uh, it just unravels from there. Escaping Toward Freedom by the yours truly, Denise Turney. You can get an e-book print or hardback. I encourage you to go get a copy if you love those fast-paced thrillers of Mystery Suspense, Escaping Toward Freedom by Denise Turney. Go treat yourself to a copy today. And now let us go and meet our very special off-the-shelf guest. And this morning's uh, guest is Lise. If I'm not saying her name correctly, I hope she corrects me. Lise Sherwood uh, Fabre. And Lise is a gimmick-free storyteller. She and her husband have traveled to and lived in different countries, including Russia, Honduras, and Mexico. She has a doctorate degree in sociology from Indiana University, and books that she has written include The Adventures of the Murdered Midwife. You guys going to love her books, her covers, The Adventure of the Murdered Gypsy, Saving Hope, Reindeer Wars, Bake Love Right, and Corazones. And we are absolutely honored to have Lise Sherwood Fabre join us on Off the Shelf Books this morning. And please, 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 I encourage you to check her out online. And I'm going to spell her name for you. It's Lee Sherwood Fabre.com, but it's L I L as in love, L I E S E S H E R W O O D F A B R E.com. And again, L I E S E. S H E R W O O D F A B R E dot com. I'm going to bring her live on the line now. And welcome, welcome, welcome to Off the Shelf, Lisa. Am I saying your name right? Um, I've always pronounced it Lisa. That was the way my mother did. 
it's a German spelling. Yeah, it's a German spelling, and uh, if there's any German listeners out there, they can tell us <laughs> if I'm doing it right or if I've said it wrong all my life. Uh, if okay, you put Lisa. an L at the end, yeah, if you put an L at the end, then I become um, one of the Von Trapp children. I'm Liesel. <laughs> ah, Lisa, Lisa, thank you, thank you, thank you. I want to say it right. Oh. Thank you, Lisa. So it is well, thank you for pleasure. asking. Oh, absolutely, and it's a pleasure to have you on Off the Shelf this morning. I'm so excited to see what you will share. The first few questions, Elisa, I ask every guest on the show, so our listeners get a little backstory on the guests before we start talking about their books. So to launch today's show, Lisa, can you tell Off the Shelf listeners where you grew up and what life was like for you growing up? Oh, my. It's pretty boring. <laughs> I lived in I live in Dallas, Texas. Not that Dallas is boring, but I just I um, you know I grew up in the the '60s, and um, it was um, our block wasn't very long. It was in the suburbs. Um, we, um, you know, I had neighborhood friends that we played with. Uh, I walked to school. It wasn't that far away. Um, and, um, you know, it was probably a typical suburban, um, youth at that time. There wasn't, uh, I was, I was in the Campfire Girls and, um, they, they didn't have a lot of youth activities for girls when I was growing up. Um, I did play basketball when I got to, I guess, junior high. But most of the time, we just hung out with our friends, our neighborhood friends, and you know, played games and things like that. And so, when you were when you were a little when you were a girl, what did you dream of becoming? I always love to hear people's answers to this question. Oh, when you were a little girl, what did you dream of becoming when you were when you? Grew I wanted up? to be an archaeologist. Oh, that was my first. My that was my first um, thing I thought I wanted to be was an archaeologist. It just sounded cool, digging in the dirt and finding stuff. Um, I know now it's not that exciting for the most part, <laughs> and I'm kind of glad I moved away from it. What really got me, uh, I remember reading some book about how to be an archaeologist, and one of the things it said is you had to learn all these different languages, and I said, well, I don't know if I can do all that. So I didn't, <laughs> but I did I I went on to something else. I can't even remember what. But for the longest time, when I at least elementary school, I thought it would be cool to be an archaeologist. Interesting. You know, I I I I've watched documentaries, and you know, that's how people discover our histories from a scientific uh, angle, and we don't just assume anything. But it's through archaeology, and it's a it is. Yeah. I mean, the testing is so specific and detailed. But I didn't know you had to learn different languages to be an archaeologist. Well, that's, that's what this book said. Uh, I, I I would assume it's like ancient Greece and Greek or uh, Egyptian hieroglyphics and things like that. I don't remember the exact languages you were supposed to learn. I just remember thinking, oh, I can't learn all that. <laughs> yeah, and that makes sense you that know, you like would nine have years to. Old. Yes, those mm-hmm. ancient languages, it makes sense. And those early alphabets, it makes sense that you mm-hmm. would have to, the symbols and everything. So you wanted to be an archaeologist growing up and living in Dallas, Texas. Who or what inspired you to pursue writing and book publishing? Oh, well, um, I, I know that I always was interested in writing and in fact I can remember distinctly and somebody asked me recently is this really true and I said yes I got an A plus on a book I wrote uh, a story not a book a a story I wrote in the second grade about Dick Jane and Sally's ruined picnic and I thought well that must mean something that I can I can write a story that the teacher thinks is an A plus she even read it out loud to the whole class of course, ah. it was also it was also tempered by the fact that I also had to stand in the corner one day because I was talking out loud. So <laughs> I just probably uh, well, you know, it's not something that they would do anymore. But 
Yeah. I remember distinctly standing in the corner that day, that one day, not the same day. Oh, I was going to say the same yeah. day you got an A plus, you had to stand in the corner? No. <laughs> no. no. So that motivated you and encouraged you when you got that A plus, and that's when you said, um, I want to I wanna go into um, – I want to go oh, into. I thought, you wanted to be a writer after you got the A plus. Yeah, is that what yeah. really got you going? Yeah, a little bit. Uh, I mean, I know I certainly wrote stories. I love to read, and so I would write stories related um, based on what I'd read or something like. And I always was attracted to mysteries. I. I have I read as many Nancy Drews as I could get my hands on when I was growing up. I also read some T- Trixie Belden, but I didn't like her as much as I liked um, as, as I liked Nancy Drew. Um, you know the world. And, the world. Mm, oh, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. The world has changed so much. You know, you hear about uh, the book bands when I. As a, when I was a little girl, you, you could not hardly ever find a book with an African-American character in it. Like, they did mm-hmm. not exist. And so hearing you say that and, and the way it changed, girls being more into sports. Now, that, really, years ago, you, and but definitely in my grandmother's generation, your hope was to grow up. You just didn't see it in books and things. You, you grew up and you could be a teacher you could be a housewife. You definitely wanted to get married because that was just your best bet and be a teacher, later a secretary, or, or like a cook or a maid. And those were, those were about your only option, or a nurse. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was it. Mm-hmm. And so through books, the world opens up through books. I mean, I love Pippi Longstocking yeah. books, but that's what I really appreciate about writers and the importance of books. It opens up a world to some people who – they would never even know about this stuff if they hadn't read it in a story. Mm-hmm. But I'm just so glad that there's so many different books and diverse characters and books today than there were when I was a kid. Oh, my goodness, if I had these the books out here now when I was a kid, I would have been just thrilled. Now, you write you write short stories and children's books, series books, and thrillers. Which genre did you start with, and what ch- attracted you to that particular genre. Oh dear, it's kind of, I would guess. Um, well, the very first thing I wrote was a science fiction story. The first oh. thing I tried to get published was a science fiction story. Um, I was living in Mexico at the time, and I had a. I got copies of the Isaac Asimov uh, science fiction magazine, and like most people, I'm sorry, my phone is doing crazy things today there. Um, I And I wanted to um, write, I thought I could write something. You know, I, I bet if you ask most writers, they'll tell you that at one point they read something and said, I can do this better, or I can do it at least as good as whatever it is that's being published. And I thought, well, I can write something like this. And um, at the time, uh, my my children were young, and I would put them to bed at night, and then I would write for a little bit. And I wrote, uh, I can't remember how long it was, but it was pretty bad now that I think about it. But at the time, I thought it was pretty cool. And I sent it off to Isaac Asimov's magazine and immediately got rejected. But that's okay it uh because i learned a lot from that first of all that i could write that that i could take an hour or whatever and write and um and finish something and finish a project and that was the first time i tried to write something from there i probably moved more into women's fiction uh i was influenced a little bit by joy luck club talking about diverse characters um and that was the the second thing I wrote was about bicultural marriages because that's what I live I have my husband is from Mexico and uh, so I wrote about bicultural marriages uh, that 
now it would be uh, considered a historical fiction because <laughs> I wrote it in the oh, 80s. <laughs> okay. Before, yeah. before um, there were cell phones or anything like that. It's so weird when 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 you talk, when we talk like that. I, again, I think back to when I was a kid, and I I thought my grandparents and my parents were so ancient. <laughs> and now I'm one of those ancient people. <laughs> kids, people look at it, they like. Uh, I I can remember when you listen to music on a record player. Oh my God! I can remember when when, the, when you went to record stores. They had record stores. Is you you rarely mm-hmm. see it like a, a just a record store now? But it's so and kids went through the library. You actually had a library card. Like imagine that. It's just so funny when you when you when you, when you look back. So I want to start talking what? about your book. So go ahead. Okay. No, I was just going to say what's really, you really know you're ancient when the stuff that went away recycles back. Now, you know, people are looking into (laughs) records again. (laughs) Isn't that funny? Isn't that funny? Or old-fashioned star company. You're like, wait, what happened when we were kids? Um, So uh, talking about your books, let's start with Corazones. And this is a book of short stories that was nominated, and congratulations for the 2007 Pushcart Prize. I mean, congratulations. Introduce oh. us to some of the stories in the, in, in the book. Okay. It, it's uh, a collection of three short stories. And like you said, one of them was a uh, Pushcart Prize nominee, which really knocked my socks off when I got that. Uh, letter telling me that the, it had originally been published uh, in another publication, and I got a letter uh, with their um, stating that they had submitted it for push, the Pushcart Prize, and that really shook, uh, really knocked my socks off. I never thought that something like that could happen. Um, and these three short stories all take place in uh, Latin America or have Latin American characters. Um, the first one, uh, the first Pushcart Prize nomination, um, goodness, I hadn't thought about these for a while. They've been out so long. Um, uh, one deals with a, a woman who goes, uh, it's not the Pushcart one. The Pushcart one deals with a um, a society that lives up in the mountains in uh, Mexico. And suddenly one day a group of what we would consider terrorists show up and how it affects the entire village. Um, they're there just for a short period of time. They need to recuperate before they go on and do something else. And I actually based it on a, a, a place I had to visit. I worked uh, for the Agency for International Development, and we went up to visit a project that we were sponsoring up in the mountains, and that was what that was based on. Um, A second one is about um, an Aztec, um, an Aztec girl who uh, finds herself um, losing her husband in or her future husband in a war, and um, what she does to sacrifice for that. Uh, to try to bring him back. And then the third one is um, the one that was inspired by a visit that I made with my mother-in-law. She was worried she needed money. She thought she needed money and she needed some. We went to a special market where they sell charms and things. And um, this particular one deals with a, um, a woman who is worried about her uh, husband um, cheating on her, and um, she goes to see about getting a charm from um, a woman in the market. And so, uh, and that one also won second place in a, um, a contest in New Mexico. Out of New Mexico. Wow! Congratulations. Mm-hmm. I mean, impressive. And you still remembering these stories into detail going back uh, what f- fifteen years? So kudos for that. Now, I, before we get into your Saving Hope and then your other books, the writing short stories. When I first started writing many many moons ago, 
I thought, oh, man, the shorter the piece, the easier. And now I totally think it's flipped. The shorter, the maybe the more difficult it is. Because the shorter the piece, the tighter the writing has to be. So I wanted mm-hmm. to ask you, do you, from writing your short stories, which it sounds like it was how your writing began, do you write and carry a very sharp pen while you're creating longer stories? the same as you do when you're writing a short story, or do you kind of open up a little bit more? Um, I do agree with you that short stories really need to be, uh, you have to really have tight writing. Every word should count. Um, You know, and uh, Hemingway was an expert at this to the point where it was people kind of, he was admired for his, his ability to write extremely tightly. Um, I believe he was the one who wrote what was considered one of the shortest short stories ever written, which was um, uh, for sale, one pair of baby shoes never used, I think is how it goes. Um, And if you can, you know, it tells the whole story right there in just, I think, two sentences. so, yeah, um, and what I have to, what I feel like I have to do with a short story is you have to have a, you have to start at, right at the beginning. There can't be a lot of, of um, wasted time. And, um, you know, whereas in a novel you might be able to do a little bit more background or set the scene a little bit more. You want to set, you want to start it as close as possible to the inciting incident. And you want to make sure everything, uh, all the words, give the feeling and the meaning that you want to that and to set that scene. Yeah, and, 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 and you definitely know how to do that. I mean, uh, uh, nominated for, again, the Pushcart Prize, which is just really, really amazing. Can you, I want to start talking about your books, can you give off-the-shelf listeners a brief overview of Saving Hope? Sure. It's a thriller set in Russia. And I, and it was at the, it was, I, I lived in Russia at the, uh, after the fall of the Soviet Union and before Putin came into power. We left just about the same time Putin came into power um, in the late 90s. And this one takes place in um, one of what was known as a, a closed city. And a, farm, a, a woman who used to work in one of the microbiology institutes, she was a virologist, um, loses, is, has become unemployed. It was very, very common at the beginning of the, after the fall. That, and she has a sick daughter. And she is offered by, she, learn, she falls into uh, she learns about a, a plot to um, export a deadly virus from Russia to Iran. Uh, this was based on fact. There were actually Iranians that were recruiting Russian scientists to work uh, on their nuclear and biological um, weapons programs. And she is forced to make a decision. Does she, does she um, try to stop the, this export or does she try to save her daughter uh, who is very ill? Oh, wow. It sounds like you, so your books are generally, they are kind of connected to some real-life event. It seems like it's, there's a real-life event that actually sparks the, the the ideal for for the the stories that you write would you say that's true? I'd say that's true for the first ones that I wrote the the series that I'm writing uh, now about uh, young Sherlock Holmes. I really haven't ever been to Victorian England, so <laughs> it's um it's a little less um, it's a little less by, um, based in real life uh, simply because. Um, historically, it's not there. I, I mean, I can't, I can't. I still haven't been able to travel back in time. I do, however, 
try to pull in actual places in, into the stories that I write, uh, into that series. Um, the latest one, which is um, The Adventure of the Purloined Portrait, takes place in Paris. And just before COVID, that was where we were. And I had an opportunity to kind of explore some things that I wanted to possibly include in in the book. Um, there were other places that I discovered later that I wanted to include. And now I have to go back so that I can visit those places as well. Oh, okay. Tell us a little bit more about that book, and then I want to come back to Saving Hope. But I want to make sure I talk about your latest story as well. So so tell us a little bit more about the, the Sherlock Holmes uh, series. And that's your latest, sure. correct? That's your, the, yes. that's your latest that yes. you're writing on? The, the, the Adventure of the Purloined Portrait is number four. Uh, the first one is The Adventure of the Murdered Midwife. The second is The Adventure of the Murdered Gypsy. And the third is The Adventure of the Deceased Scholar. And this series explores um, how Sherlock Holmes became Sherlock Holmes. I start off, he's 13, and his mother's been accused of murdering the village midwife. And he's got to say, solve the mystery or the murder before his mother is uh, hung for that, that crime. And there and his mother has, is a very influential person in his life when i started developing the series i started i thought I, my first thought was how did sherlock holmes become sherlock holmes and um there's actually very little about it in the original tales arthur conan doyle didn't share much we know that his father was uh or his ancestors were country squires I made it his father as being one of his ancestors. I know we knew that he had a brother named Mycroft who was seven years older. And we know that his grandmother was the sister of Horace Bernay, who was a French portraitist. And that's about all we know. A few more facts, but that's basic. And those are the most basic ones. And so my thought was, how did Sherlock Holmes become Sherlock Holmes? Well, some people might say it's his father or something. And I thought, what instead if it was his mother? And being in, a, in Victorian England, she would have had a very hard time achieving anything on her own because you just that just wasn't what you did. So she could have easily poured all of her interest in, in education and knowledge to her sons, both Sherlock and Mycroft. And we know Mycroft was um, had an intelligence and an ability to do deductions as much as Sherlock, except that Mycroft didn't like getting his hands dirty or actually moving outside of his regular sphere of influence. And so... Um, and it wasn't uncommon. It was it was expected for the Victorian uh, the Victorian mother to take charge of her son, her children's education. And so I just she just brought in new things that other people wouldn't have done. Like she brought in a uh, a um, a medical student to teach them anatomy, for example. And so that's how the that's how the series begins. Uh, in the latest one, they are in Paris so that they can visit uh, great uncle Horace's widow. Uh, he had already passed away by that point, but his widow was still alive. And this is the first time that I've included some real life characters into the fiction, which was interesting. And I hope wow. there aren't any Bernays out there that get upset with what I did. What attracted you? What? Why? Why? Why Sherlock Holmes? Did you seem to have a to turn it into a series? What? What? What was? What sparked your interest? Have you always been interested in in those stories? What? What sparked your interest in Sherlock Holmes? You know, I, I really can't put a pinpoint exactly when. I first knew about Sherlock Holmes, other than I can remember uh, getting home from school and in the afternoons we used to have a program called Dialing for Dollars and they used to play the old movies. Um, 
And one of those things that they would they would show are the old Basil Rathbone movies um, with Sherlock Holmes. And I think that was probably the first introduction that I really understood. Not to say that there weren't cartoon characters that, you know, would put on a uh, deer stalker and a, carry a magnifying glass to do some sort of detective work. But those that's my first introduction. And I think the thing that appeals to me about Sherlock Holmes is his ability to um, take information and draw a conclusion from it. And I think that's, and again, you know, there were mysteries, and I like mysteries. So. And he was okay. smarter than Nancy Drew. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, the, the mystery part of it. So I want to go back now to Saving Hope, the latest for off-the-shelf mm-hmm. listeners are the Sherlock series books which you could find more about at Lisa's website, which is lisasherwoodfabre.com. But I want, I want to ask you, going back to Saving Hope, and first question, I wasn't going to ask you this, but with everything that's going on in Ukraine and Russia, have you seen the sales, book sales or any interest in Saving Hope suddenly spark on any of no, your website or really. any of the platforms? Not okay. really. Not really. Okay. Um, and um, I haven't really tried to ride that wave at all. Okay. Um, yeah. Because I'm just not certain how it would be received. Yeah. Um, uh, I can say even the people that, that our contacts that we had in Russia and things, my husband, uh, I worked for the uh, Agency for International Development again, and my husband worked for a private company, and we talked about it, and we decided we weren't certain it was a good idea to contact any of the people we know, because we don't know how it would be received if they if they that they might get in trouble for having contacts in the United States. Yeah, um, yeah. and so and it's just such a, just it's just such a horrible situation. I was just thinking, yes. Yeah. If naturally, uh, just that 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 was occurring, not to take advantage, and there's nothing to take advantage of from the situation. I was just curious if it was just an organic thing that that no, no, I I haven't seen any, no, no. So going back to saving hope, which again I love your storylines. It just I just do. Who is introduced the listeners? Who is Alexandra Pavlova, and what? What is her relationship to Hope? Oh, okay. Uh, sure. Uh, Alexandra Pavlova, as I mentioned, she was a, uh, she's an unemployed microbiologist. She worked for uh, an institute uh, that developed biological weapons uh, um, in one of the closed cities. They, these cities uh, were usually scientific communities. Um, that worked on very uh, high secret um, um, secret projects, and you didn't. Some of them don't even didn't even have names. I gave them. I think I called it Stop One Hundred. Um, you know, just it was a place that the train would stop, but nobody was. You were only to get off there if you had some reason to be there. And um, there were other places that some places, some of these closed cities worked on nuclear or other kinds of weapons. Um, others worked on biological weapons. So they, these really did exist. Um, and they, um, and she and her husband were both both worked for one institute, and they both lost their jobs as a, as um, the economy changed. It moved from a, a communist to, or economy to a, a market economy, and the government just simply didn't have the money to fund these kinds of um, this kind of work anymore. And um, she is the mother of a girl who has a heart condition, and the the daughter's name is Nadezhda, which means hope, and that's where Saving Hope comes from. Her major, her goal in life is to 
see her daughter get better. And she will do anything to do that. Oh, wow. And so why would she trust the KGB? Um she when when she goes to she goes to work she gets a job with a, a friend who uh, has done very well in the new market economy and she um, and she learns that he is working with somebody from Iran and she's approached by a KGB well they don't call it it's not KGB anymore KGB went out with the the Soviet Union, now it's the FS, FSB or FBS. And they, um, and he approaches her because he's been following this Iranian agent who is now the, the business partner of her, her friend. And uh, he wants to get more information about what's going on. And she's the one, because she's his secretary, she is aware of what some of the information that um, he's collecting and what he's doing. And this is where the export of the biological weapon comes in. Wow, this is a mystery. Oh, my gosh. And <laughs> and, 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 and she's got a huge, she, she has a huge choice to make. And 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 mm-hmm. let me ask you this: I don't want to get a story away. Would the reader, whatever choice she goes with, would the reader have sympathy for her either way, or would? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. She just basically uh, at the beginning, all she's trying to do is save her daughter's life, get uh, get her to the the operation that she needs. It's available in the West, but not available at that time in Russia, and. Um, she's not, and she just kind of falls into this whole plot. It wasn't her intention. She certainly didn't want to go get in touch, being, uh, fall into the FSB's um, radar. It just kind of evolved. And once it evolved, her her effort is then to extract herself and her daughter. Oh my goodness! Introduce us to a few other major and minor characters from Saving Saving Hope. This book sounds so interesting because the, <laughs> the, she's got this. That's why I asked you that. The choice she makes, depending on how she goes, the reader could say, "Oh my gosh, I, I just don't like her," or the choice she made. Either way, I mean, there's so mm-hmm. much hanging in the balance. Either way she goes. Could you introduce us to some of the other major and minor characters in Saving Hope? Uh, sure. Um, there's her husband, um, Sergey, and what the, uh, he is, does. Is he a own. loving guy? Is he? What, what kind of person is he? He he's loving. He's very very frustrated because after he loses his job um, at the institute. Uh, he was a scientist as well, and all of a sudden he doesn't have any, he has nothing. He's not able, you know, as a man, he's expect, he expects to be able to uh, support his family. Um, and in a closed city, there's no, the economy is extremely limited, and he doesn't know, and how does he, how does he make a new living in this market economy that nobody expected to happen? until the whole the Soviet Union fell apart and some people were better prepared than others and it try and he tries but um he's just not able to to meet his own ex- expectations of what it means to be a husband and a mm. father wow. um and then there is her um her um the friend who has done well, and um, he he is what you'll hear the term oligarch for the 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 people that have made money, have made a lot of money. He's not a major oligarch. <laughs> he's a little. 
he's a big fish in a little pond because of the okay. closed city. But he's he's been able to he was able to manipulate um, himself into a position where he has uh, he was importing and exporting things, and he made his money and he's made money that way. Um, and so that's why he's able to um, bring to bring um, Alexandra on as as his um, assistant, or because his English isn't very good. She she has good English, and she can write letters, and in in English, and she can she's learned to type a little bit, and then. Um, there's um, the the Iranian who is um, a major also um, there, and he's there specifically to help see what to help bring about this um, this export of the bio uh, biological weapon. And then you have the FSB agent who is you might consider him somewhat rogue. Uh, you know, there's always. This is the 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 one who who um, still has ethics and knows what he needs to do to uh, will act ethically, and he gets more involved with Alexandra than he should. Uh, this story is sounding. Good. <laughs> oh my God! I have been told by people said. They said when we get when I get to the second half of the book, I can't put it down. I just have to finish the whole thing. Um, wow. it, it really yeah. picked up the pace. It, it's just a very interesting story, and then there's so much mm-hmm. hanging hanging in the balance. Uh, and then I want to I also want to ask you, switching gears, talking about the adventures of you got the adventures of the murdered midwife. So for our listeners, we're switching gears now, coming into back to the Sherlock Holmes space, the adventures of the midwife. You 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 said earlier, like in your book series, Sherlock Holmes, you start talking about how he became Sherlock Holmes. You there wasn't a lot mm-hmm. out there that, that said this, but you are you you seem like um, it's mysteries, mysteries, mysteries. Now, so the the. Uh, Adventures of the Murdered Midwife. Then you got the Adventures of the Murdered Gypsy. <laughs> Can you give like a a synopsis? The Adventure of the Murdered of the Murdered Midwife. And you said a little bit you haven't been to the you have not been to the areas where the stories uh take place. But do you did you do you research? You lived in Russia for Saving Hope. Do you do you do a lot of research? before you sat down and wrote these books. So The Adventure of the Murdered Midwife, is it based in part on some historical facts? Uh, yes, yes. Um, there, I do a lot of research. And, in fact, I've done some, I did, as I was doing the research, uh, I started off with, you know, what is it? what does he mean by his father was a country squire? Which really doesn't the the concept really doesn't exist in the U.S. Um, and this was a large landowner, and the large landowners actually had an obligation to be magistrates in the county. And so his um, his father would have been if his father was the the country was the squire, he would have had to listen to legal cases. And so that was that would have provided him an introduction to um, to the law, to English law, from his father. Um, and I would take I got all this information. And I said, you know, I bet there are other people out there that would like to know some of this information. And so I started writing short essays on different aspects and uh, sharing them with Sherlock Holmes societies that have newsletters. So because I know that one of the things that newsletters always need is information to put in them, articles for the newsletter. And so I started sharing that. It goes 
these now, I have about 15 newsletters that I share uh, a monthly article about, some aspect of uh, Victorian England that are, um, that are mentioned in the Sherlock Holmes series. And I've found that's probably, uh, so a lot of my research you can read <laughs> because I also put them out in, in book form. And that's The Life and Times of Sherlock Holmes. And these are very short essays. Um, only takes a few minutes to read each one. And it provides you with some inf- more, uh, more detailed information about something that is mentioned in uh, the Sherlock Holmes original books and stories. You go in um, on your, oh my gosh, you, you, are, you have a sincere passion for whatever it is you're writing about. And I'm sure that comes yeah, across yeah, in your writing. Yeah, getting it right, yeah. <laughs> because you know that if you get it wrong, somebody's going to write you and tell you, you got this wrong. <laughs> I yeah. try very hard to make sure, make sure I get it right. Oh, my goodness. So in The Adventure of the Murdered Midwife, at what stage is Sherlock Holmes in his career as a detective when the story opens? And what's happening in his life when the book opens? Okay. He's 13, and he's been wow. at Eden his, um, just a few weeks. And, of, of course, he's, he's absolutely miserable because he just doesn't fit in. He's not, um, in the first scene, he's having a, he's being, he was challenged to a boxing match by another student because he um, put one of the teachers down in school, in in class that day. He said, I don't understand. And he's really kind of confused. He says, the guy had it wrong. Was I not telling that it was wrong? <laughs> and so, but what the other student doesn't know is that Sherlock has been trained by his uncle who was in the army and um, in boxing. And so he, the, with the first blow, he kind of um, sets the guy's nose to bleeding. And before he, any more can happen, he gets uh, one of the prefectors at the school, one of the older kids, uh, says you're wanted at the headmaster's office, and his first thought is, "How did they know so fast about this fight?" <laughs> and um, but what he learns is that he's being called home because of something. He doesn't understand. Uh... Nobody tells him right away what's happening, and, and he, it's not until he finally meets up with his brother on on the who's at Oxford to take him back to. Uh, to go back to the family estate, that he learns that his mother's been accused of murder. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I was going to ask you next to introduce us to the midlife, midwife, but I'm assuming that's Sherlock's mom, the midwife? The midwife is um, was just in the village. His mother um, is, is, is not a midwife. So why and, would anyone she's want accused to... of murdering her? Oh, oh, she's accused of murder. Why would anyone want to kill a midwife? Is she a secret keeper? Uh, yeah, you can call her a secret keeper. I if, if I say too much, <laughs> there won't be. Anything I know. In the story. <laughs> but we'll call oh, her my oh my goodness! Oh my goodness! I you know I love a good mystery, and you and your stories and the the research that you do and your real life experiences that sort of give birth to the ideals for your stories. Can you, now I want to talk about a little bit, as we, we're running out of time, but The Adventure of the Murdered Gypsy, and I love the title for your book series. You keep that, The Adventure of, and to keep it going with your readers so they know it's it's a book in that series. Now, do you give yeah. readers a deep glimpse into the life of the gypsy in the book of the the adventure of the murdered gypsy, and I ask this because in a lot of mysteries, not even real life ones, people focus more on who committed the crime, why they did it, and you don't really know a lot about the person who the crime was committed against. Do you do the readers really get a lot of insight into the gypsy in the book? Um, 
um, some because this person really isn't a gypsy. They're dressed like one for a reason, for certain reasons, but they aren't really a gypsy. Um, so, but there are gypsies. Uh, there is a, a scene or two with gypsies in them, but it's only to use to eliminate um, or to explore whether or not how this person who's dressed was a gypsy might have been involved with them. Oh my goodness! You, do you do a lot of do you go to a lot of book writer conference and stuff and sit on panels where you can actually talk about your books and answer questions like you're doing now? Because I tell I tell writers when you even when I'm doing the research when I hear the authors start to talk about the book and the characters and the the inspiration for the book and how it came to be, I want to go out and buy every single book. When you hear the writers talk. Talk about their stories. If you went to a lot of events and just talked about your books, I can only imagine how many sales you would get as you just start talking about the makings of the book. Oh, uh, you're, you're so kind. And I let me tell you, I've wanted to get a copy of yours, what is it, Escaping to Freedom, after all your talk about it. So I, you, I'm somebody, intrigued as well. When you hear somebody talk about this, this story, so describe Miss Phillips. And also for our listeners who might not be that familiar with Sherlock Holmes, can you tell us the time that these stories take place? Describe the setting a little for our listeners who might be sure. like, okay, what time sure. is this? And then describe Miss Phillips and what's at stake for her in the investigation. Phillips? I'm sorry. Miss Phillips. What's that? What's is there? A, there's a Miss Phillips, right, in the adventure of Miss of the Murder Gypsy. Maybe I had a name incorrect. Uh, I'm sorry, I don't remember. Oh, oh, yeah, Meredith. <laughs> I usually used her first name. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, okay. yeah. Uh, I can't say much, um, but she. Um, what happens is that in the Murder Gypsy. It's at Christmas time, and all of a sudden, three um, uh, three people show up uh, right at Christmas that are well. One is an old friend of uh, Sherlock's uncle. His uncle, as I said, had been a soldier. He'd been in India, and he kind of suffers from PTSD. Uh, he has a he's very quirky, and uh, somebody shows up along with uh, what he, who he says is his niece and um, a woman who she says is his, her maid who is from India. And they had just arrived and um, because you don't turn people away, especially at Christmas, they make arrangements and they include him uh, they include them in their festivities. But the same day that they appear, that's when they find the body of the murdered gypsy in the stable. Oh, wow. Wow. <laughs> and, oh, and Mycroft, kind of, and Mycroft kind of sort of falls in love with her. She's, she's quite charming and quite pretty. And... Uh, Sherlock just can't figure this out, why his brother all of a sudden is fawning over this young lady. Wow. So this is happening during Christmas. What, for our listeners again, what year is this? For people who are like new to Sherlock. Oh, for you, uh, this would have been 1867. Okay. Sherlock was, um, they have, have determined, um, the Sherlockians will tell you, they have determined that he was born on January 6th. 1857, and so, um, 1854, excuse me, 1854. So 1867, he would have been 13. Okay. What have readers been saying about the adventure of the murdered midwife and the adventure of the murdered gypsy? What have you been hearing from readers so far about these two books? Uh, uh, Most of them say some very nice things. Um, it, the the first book won a um, 
won a, a prize um, from Mystery and Mayhem, the CIBA Award, CIBA Award. It, it won first place. Thank you. And oh, awesome. it was considered it was considered a best book. It, uh, I was very pleased to read uh, when I got that award. Again, not something I was necessarily expecting. Uh, I'm always surprised when something good happens. <laughs> and um, I'm trying to think. Uh, most of what I've heard from a lot of people is that they uh, are, are just very excited about them. They think that they are, are well-written. Um, I had one uh, reviewer recently referred to it as unmissable. Uh, you know, you can't miss it. Don't miss it. Okay, um, okay. Uh, and uh, most people appreciate my making Sherlock a little less um, stiff than he appears in the original stories, but that's because he's young and he's still trying to figure things out. Okay. Uh, later on, I expect him to become a little less, a little less open for a whole lot of reasons. Yes, yes. Oh, my goodness. You know, and you're writing about a character. It's like writing a Star Wars book or mm-hmm. a new Star Trek where so many people follow this character. Like you said, every little thing that he didn't do that or he wouldn't have talked like that. <laughs> you're not like creating a new <laughs> character from scratch. So, I mean, you have to do, you'd have to do your research and really know this character yeah. to, to yeah. make those those loyal fans with the story. Mm-hmm. So as we coming down to less than five minutes, Lisa, can you share okay. three to four steps that you have taken? I mean, just talking about your books, if you're in the platforms where you can do that, I can only imagine the interest. But can you share three to four steps that you've taken that you have personally found to be effective at getting the word out about your books? Um, well, I think you're right about the 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 conferences. I just finished um, visiting 221B Con in Atlanta. There, in, they occur in April. It's a very different. Uh, a lot of the Sherlock Holmes conferences uh, are very scholarly. This one is more. Let's have fun. Um, it, think Comic Con, not on that scale, but uh, a lot of a lot of dressing up and a lot of just having fun. Um, and there are panels for all sorts of things um, related, not just not just to Sherlock Holmes. There are other. They also like Doctor Who, and I'm and I'm not very familiar with this program now. I'm going to have to go and watch, binge watch it someplace. It's uh, entitled. Our, I think our flag means death, um, which is a, a new program, and there were uh, they had a panel on that because there's a great deal of interest in that. Um, it has to do with pirates, but I, I don't know much about it. Uh, although now I've got to, after I, I attended the the con, I have to find out more. I'm going to BoucherCon, which is up in um, Minneapolis this year. That's a big mystery conference, uh, and it's both readers and writers. And before that, that's in September, and before that in August, I'm going to the Book Lovers Con. Uh, and cons are nice because you get to meet readers and writers get together, and that makes it very, very different than when you go to a writer's conference. But I go to writer's conference to, conferences too, um, and I also go to Sherlock Holmes conferences. And there's quite a number of Sherlock Holmes conferences all over. There's going to be one in Dallas next May, um, which we're very excited about. It's the first one that we're doing that's a big national one. Um, And it's about collecting because Sherlock Holmes um, enthusiasts also tend to be collectors. And in particular, we're going, yeah. No, you said in particular you're going... Oh, in particular, uh, this conference is focused on a um, a collector here in Dallas who collected the Hound of the Baskervilles in several different languages, and he recently donated it all to the SMU li- library 
And so the conference is going to be associated with SMU as well. Okay. And, we, and it's very exciting for him. Good for you. Good for you. Oh, my goodness. I'm excited for you. We are out of time. Oh, my goodness. I can oh, continue no. to talk to Lisa. I've enjoyed having you on. I want to encourage you listeners to check her out online. And she's and all your social media contacts on your website? Yes. Where people can find. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I'll give you her website URL again. It's L-I-E-S-E-S-H-E-R. W-O-O-D-F-A-B-R-E dot com. We have just been honored to have Lisa Sherwood Fabre on line on here off the shelf with us again. And again, L I E S E S H E R W O O D F A B R E dot com, the Sherlock Holmes series, Saving Hope. She's got her 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 her, her short story collection that was nominated for a Pushcart Prize. She is no joke, you guys. This is a, a serious writer, and you, you heard the, the interest in her stories, her mysteries, and she's lived in uh, countries where some of her stories have taken place and done a lot of research for Sherlock Holmes. Hopefully some of you will meet her out there on the road if you have Sherlock Holmes fans at one of her uh, conferences that she's going to be at so i want to thank you lisa again for being here with us on off the shelf and to our listeners as i always tell you you're awesome you're amazing you really 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 are you're incredible go out and create a wonderful day for yourself please tell everybody mark your calendar saturday mornings 11 a.m eastern standard time you're gonna stop and catch off the shelf Lisa, I'll send you a link to the show when it finishes streaming. Thank thank you, you. thank you, thank you. Bye for now. Well, thank you, thank you, thank you. I'm quite honored to be on your show. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye.